If you're new, I should probably let you know that um, I'm not from Washington originally. Uh, you may not have realized that. I'm actually from somewhere a little further east <laughs> than Washington. I'm from Eureka. And uh, <laughs> now I'm from England and uh, grew up there. And the church I attended in England before I came to America is called Sutton Christian Center. I loved it. Uh, spent a few years there and had some great friends there. And uh, one of my favorite stories from being on that church, I worked with a guy called Rick. And I loved Rick. He was a great guy. And um, one, we had an evening service, one Sunday evening. And at this evening service, we had a guest speaker. Now, you need to understand that Sutton Christian Center, the church I went to, it was a unique building. It was actually on a residential street. So it was in the, the city, this city, and uh, it was kind of on a residential street. So when you came to church and parked, you just had to kind of park wherever you could find a space. It was street parking, you know, curb parking, uh, parallel parking. So, um, so this particular night, this guest speaker got finished, and he was staying the night at Rick's house. So Rick met with him in the foyer afterwards, and he said, um, so I drove tonight. Did you drive? He says, yeah, I drove as well. And the speaker said, my car's parked right out front. And Rick said, well, I'm parked down the street a bit. I'll, I'll pull up, and uh, when I get up to your car, just pull out behind me, and you can follow me to my house and stay the night at my house. He said, I've got a red car, so when I pull up, just, just follow me. So Rick tells me the story that he goes back, uh, he gets his car, he gets up to the front of the church, and this guy's gone. This guest speaker is nowhere to be found. And Rick thinks, that's odd. I was pretty clear. I said, I'll pull up, red car, follow me. So Rick has no idea. Now, we're talking, this is like 20 years ago. So there's no GPS in cars. It's not like he could have just sent him a link. In fact, he couldn't even send him anything. No cell phones, no text messaging. So, so all Rick could do was just kind of pull up in front of the church and wait and hope this guy eventually shows up. Half an hour goes by, and finally this guy pulls up. And Rick said, what happened? Where did you go? I thought you were going to follow me. He goes, well, I did too. He said, this red car came up, and I pulled out, and I just started to follow it. I figured it was you. He went to the end of the road. He turned left. He went to the end of that road, turned right. He was all the way up to the highway. I followed him everywhere. And then every now and again, he would slow down, and then he would turn one way and turn the other way. And I followed him, and I stayed right on his tail. He said at one point he stopped completely by the side of the road. So I pulled over and stopped completely. And then he pulled out again and I carried on following him. He said he went down this road that was a kind of a dead end and had to do a three-point turn to get back. So I did a three-point turn and I carried on following him. He said finally, after like 20 minutes, we're on this quiet road. This guy just slams on his brakes in the middle of the road, jumps out and he goes, what are you doing? Who are you? Stop following me. And he said, at that point, I realized I wasn't following Rick. I don't know who this guy was. But I must have terrified him because I drove all over Sutton following him. So following the wrong person can be a dangerous thing, can get you in trouble. And um, that brings me to our series that we're in right now called Follow. And I want to promise you that when we come up with these ideas for series, uh, they really are ideas that we feel like is a good message to share about the Bible. It's not because I've got lots of really funny stories about following, and I'm like, I should do a series around this just so I can tell these stories. But I do have some good ones. So you'll hear more of those as the, uh, the weeks go on. But uh, we've been talking about this idea of following. Because we've been learning here the last few weeks that when Jesus came to earth, one of the, the greatest invitations he made on a regular basis to the people he met was, follow me, follow me. 
I feel like that went against the grain of the religious crowd in that day. Even today, sometimes, the the religious idea is it can't be that simple. Surely there's a list of requirements and a list of things that you have to change, a list of, you know, getting your act together and cleaning your life up. And surely there must be many more hoops to jump through than just simply follow me. But that's what Jesus said. And it was amazing some of the people who he asked to follow him. Jesus would ask some people who were were considered the lowest of the low, the the sinners of their society. And he would simply go to them and say, hey, follow me. So even their level of sinfulness wasn't a prerequisite to just follow Jesus. There were some who didn't even believe, weren't even sure who Jesus was. Some of his very first followers initially had a hard time really figuring out who Jesus was. But even that didn't discredit them from being able to follow Jesus. He simply said, follow me. And the great news for us today is that means that, that, that we, with the mess in our lives and the questions and the doubts that we have, they don't need to be obstacles to stop us from following Jesus. This morning, you could make that decision to say, well, I'm still not sure and I've still got this and this is still going on. But, but you can still make that decision to follow Jesus. Since we launched in 2013, it's just been one of the the greatest things for Casey, my wife and I, to to watch as we've led this church to see dozens and dozens of people step forward and make that decision to say, I want to follow Jesus. I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm not sure where that's going to take me. I'm not sure how to, but I just feel like this is something I want to do. I want to follow Jesus. Many of the people who have made that decision, they've, they've been very public in their declaration. They've, over the years, we've, we've had baptism services, and, and that's a great way of, of showing everyone, friends, family, the rest of the church, I am going public. I want people to know that I've made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm excited to announce this morning that coming up in just a few weeks on November the 3rd will be our very first baptism service here in our new building. And I'm praying, I, I, I want to see many people that morning Say, so, you know what, I've, I've been coming long enough and I feel like what I've seen is, is real. I, can say, I, I want to take that, that bold step of faith and I want to get baptized. I want to go public with my decision to follow Jesus. And again, let me emphasize what Jesus emphasized for us in that it's not a case of figuring everything out and, and getting everything sorted and then you can get baptized or and then you can follow. No, it's almost like the entry point, it's the starting point of saying, I want to follow Jesus, is by getting baptized, and it's, it's saying, I want to declare to friends, to family, to loved ones, to my church, that this is a journey that I'm stepping into. This is a journey that I want to begin of, of following Jesus, and I want to see where that's going to take me. And we're actually going to answer that question this morning. You see, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how Jesus invited people to follow him. But this morning, I want to really kind of focus in on on the answer to one question. That's, if you follow Jesus, where does it lead? If you follow Jesus, that's the question we're going to look for the answer for this morning. If you follow Jesus, where does it lead? Some of you are here this morning, and you're yet to make that decision, and you're kind of wondering, well, Dave, I know you're saying it's easy to follow and that, but but where's he going to take me? Some of you have made that decision to follow Jesus, and you're on the journey with him, and you're still kind of wondering, I wonder where this is going to lead. (laughs) I wonder where he's going to take me on this journey. Some have been following Jesus for many years now, 
And I think you might be surprised this morning to discover where he wants to take you. Because you may discover this morning that some of the ideas you had aren't the main goal of where Jesus wants to take you this morning. Maybe some of you this morning thought that the goal of following Jesus was to be a better person. I want to follow Jesus because that'll make me a better person. So let's find out if a better person is the right answer. (laughs) No. Survey said no. Now, don't get me wrong. If you follow Jesus, I believe you will become a better person. He will help you become more kind and loving and generous and forgiving, and your life will change. Some of the most wonderful people I know are followers of Jesus. And you can just see that Jesus has transformed their lives. And and one of the main reasons they are the people they are is because they've made that decision to follow Jesus. But I never see an example as I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus would say to people, hey, follow me. If you follow me, you'll be a much better person. I just don't see him saying that. So maybe this morning you're thinking, well, it's not to be a better person. The reason you follow Jesus is to go to heaven. That's why you follow Jesus. So is it to go to heaven? (laughs) No. Now, again, don't get me wrong. This is a wonderful um, benefit of following Jesus. But as you read about the life of Jesus, he talked to people, he very rarely talked about going to heaven. As he asked people to follow him, he didn't say, hey, follow me because you'll go to heaven. He talked a lot about the kingdom of heaven. He talked about a lot about the kingdom of earth. But ironically, one of the only times he ever promised someone that they would go to heaven was to a person that wasn't even one of his followers. Get this, this was, and you may be familiar with the story, this was on Jesus' last hours here on earth as he's hanging on a cross. There are two thieves either side of him and one's mocking Jesus. And the other stands up for Jesus and says, listen, we deserve to be here. There's a reason we're hanging on these crosses. We've made some pretty poor decisions in our lives. We messed up a lot. And now we're paying the punishment. But him, he's innocent. He doesn't deserve to be here. And the thief then said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me. Don't forget me. And Jesus says to that guy at that moment, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus says, you will be with me in heaven. I love that story because this is a guy who'd messed up his whole life. I mean, we're not questioning. I wonder if he was a good guy or a bad guy. He was on a cross. It's pretty clear that he was a bad guy. And at the very moment, the grace of Jesus is so large that in his last moments of life, he encounters Jesus and is promised that he'll be in heaven. Now, I don't recommend that. I don't recommend holding out to the last minute and hoping you can, you can cry out to Jesus in the last minute because I believe he's got a fantastic life planned for you here on earth as well. And while I believe that going to heaven is an amazing part of being a follower of Jesus, I don't see him as saying, that is why you should follow me. Some of us have been led to believe that the best reason to follow Jesus is that it means we'll never have any problems again. So what about that for an answer? Let's say a a survey is following Jesus mean pain-free, (laughs) problem-free? Of course not. Pain-free, problem-free? I wish that was the case. It would be a lot easier to, to encourage people to follow Jesus if I could convince them that you'll never have another problem again. 
But many of us this morning who have followed him for any amount of time can say that isn't the case. In fact, Jesus himself, he said in John, in this world, you will have trouble. So where does it all lead? What is the payoff? Where is he taking us? Why should I follow Jesus? What is the purpose? What is the ultimate goal of following Jesus? You know, I think you can actually find the answer throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four told the story of the life of Jesus, and all four of them talked about what we're going to talk about this morning many different times. We see it all over, the the ultimate goal of following Jesus. And I'm going to look at just one passage this morning, a little bit of an obscure passage, but I'm going to look at one passage this morning to illustrate what I think Jesus is talking about in multiple different places throughout his time on earth. It's a time when he was talking to his disciples, sometimes we call them the apostles, and uh, he was gathering just his closest friends, the 12 of them, and he says, okay, things are going to get serious here pretty soon because uh, it's not all about me. There's going to come a time when you are going to be the ones to go out and you're going to further the mission and my time will come to an end and it'll be on you now to go out and and continue to to spread the word and the the church as we know it is going to be built through you. So he's kind of giving them this pep talk, just kind of preparing them. And we're going to find out this morning that in part of the preparation, there's a bit of a warning he gave them. And the good news for us this morning is that I don't think we need to follow this same warning. I'm I'm hoping and praying that we don't encounter some of the things that the disciples encountered. But there is still a principle in what he was saying to them that does apply to us this morning. So let's look at what it was he said to them. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. And I think the disciples are like, whoa, whoa, hold on. What did you say there? It sounded like you said, we will be. Not, hey, be careful because there's a danger this might happen. Or, you know, be good because if you're not, you might get. No, Jesus, you just said, we will be handed over and we will be flogged. We don't like the sound of that. This wouldn't have made sense to the disciples when they heard it, because at this point, Jesus was at the top of his game. There were crowds of people following him. He was the most popular uh, attraction in town. People were coming from miles around to see him. Everyone wants to see Jesus. Everyone wants to speak to Jesus. I wonder if the apostles almost kind of felt like a little bit of a celebrity status, because they're like, you want to see him? Yeah, I could probably get you to see him. <laughs> And now Jesus is saying, no, there's going to come a time where there's not going to be people crying out to see you and excited to see you. In fact, there's going to come a time where you're going to be flogged and whipped in synagogues. Verse 18, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, not if, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say and how to say it. Now, if I'm a disciple and I'm listening to Jesus, I'm like, do not worry about what to say? What makes you think that would ever be a worry? My worry is I've just been arrested. (laughs) That's why I'm worried. And Jesus is saying, but don't worry about what to say. At that time, verse 19, at that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So she's like, hey, guys, it's okay. At that time, you will be given what to say. The disciples are saying, how about you just give us a get-out-of-jail-free card? That would be more helpful than the words to say. 
because we'll be in prison. If you carry on reading that passage, Jesus gives a whole list of a bunch more bad things that will probably happen to them. And then in verse 26, he says, so do not be afraid of them. Here's the meat of what Jesus is getting to when he's talking to them. He says, but don't be afraid of these people. Verse 28, he says again, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, there's a book after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's called Acts, and it's actually short for the Acts of the Apostles. And it talks about um, the Acts of the Apostles, what took place after the death of Jesus, their lives. And as you read through the Acts of the Apostles and as you read through church history, you'll discover that what Jesus was, was saying to them, this wasn't a worst-case scenario. This wasn't a let's hope this doesn't happen, but it might. Jesus was literally predicting what would happen to them. Because as you read through Acts and as you read through church history, you discover that he was exactly right. They were arrested. They were beaten. They were persecuted just for proclaiming the word of God, just for sharing about what Jesus had done. Most of them lost their lives simply because they were followers of Jesus proclaiming him. And again, I don't think that's a message for us this morning. I don't think our lives are in danger as followers of Jesus. But there is something that Jesus wanted the disciples to understand in that moment that I think he wants us to understand this morning. And that was verse 29, the way this finishes off. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. That doesn't sound too amazing in my case, but for some of you, that's miraculous. All of the hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I picture the scene that maybe there were some sparrows nearby and Jesus is saying, look, you see those little birds? You can buy those. They're so cheap. There are vendors that sell these, these little birds and they are so, you, you could get a couple of them for a penny and yet God cares about them. God knows every one of them. So how much more valuable do you think you are? How much more does he care about you? I feel like basically in summary, Jesus is saying, listen, bad things are going to happen, but don't be afraid when they do. They might be able to destroy your body, but they can never destroy your soul. What Jesus was saying to his apostles in that moment was don't be afraid. We're going to find out this morning, that this is something he said time and time again. He said, follow me a lot. But there were a lot of times as well where he said to his followers, don't be afraid. It's great to hear that, isn't it? Sometimes it's, it's harder to believe it in the moment. When I was younger, I was a little bit of a, a daredevil. I liked to pursue exciting things and, you know, do dangerous things. And I remember being out with some friends of mine. I was in my early 20s, and we went on a short vacation together, and we were down at this seaside kind of beach place in England. And... Uh, Right there on the edge of the ocean, there was this big crane, and it was taking people up super high so they could do bungee jumps over the ocean. And I'm like, oh, i got to do that. <laughs> that looks so cool. So I did. I 
paper money. I got all strapped up into the harness and the guy were getting into the crane, the bucket together to go up. And, and now, a little bit of fear is kicking in. So I'm asking him a ton of questions. I'm like, you guys been doing this long? How, what's your safety record? You, you know, high 90s? He's like, 100%. Haven't lost anyone yet. He said, in actual fact, that bungee cord that you're attached to right now is made up of four individual bungees, okay? One of those could break and the other three would still hold you. In fact, two could break and the other two could, in fact, three could break and that last one would still hold you. I said, what about if four of them break? So we'll get up to the top, we're 150 feet in the sky and he's like, okay, I'm gonna open the thing. There's a big crowd watching. When you jump, do me a favor, Willie. Can you scream? Because the crowd love it when people scream. It just makes it really seem exciting. I was like, okay, just because you asked. <laughs> One, two, three, and like a six-year-old girl on the dragon roller coaster of Good Neighbor Days, I screamed all the way down and back up and down and up, and it was terrifying. This guy had convinced me all the way up not to be afraid. He told me all the things of why I shouldn't be afraid. But you know what? It's still scary. And Jesus was saying to his disciples, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And I wish there was a switch in our minds that we could say, oh, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Okay, I'll just flick that switch and from now on, I won't be afraid. But what Jesus was trying to explain to his disciples and what I think he's trying to explain to us today there's a journey I want to take you on. Do you want to know where, where following me will lead? I'll tell you where it will lead. If you want to follow me, I want to take you to a place where you'll discover a faith that overwhelms fear. A faith that overcomes fear. A place of relationship with me where when you face the things in life that could, could cause you to have fear or anxiety, just your relationship with me, just the fact that you're following me, you'll understand what it's like to not be afraid as you trust me. Throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's constantly telling his followers, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. A few weeks ago, if you were here, Whitney, our children's pastor, was speaking, and she, she told us the story about Jesus in the boat in the middle of the storm. And this storm came up, and Jesus was fast asleep, and the disciples were terrified. They woke him up. They said, Jesus, there's a storm Jesus gets up and miraculously calms the storm. And he says, why were you afraid? I mean, it's got to be the dumbest question asked ever. And he's like, you know, because there was a storm and we were going to drown. I mean, what, what kind of question is that? But Jesus, he says, hey, I understand there was a storm. I understand it was scary, but, but why were you afraid? That was the big question he was asking the disciples. Hidden in Beneath that question was, hey, I was right here with you in the boat. I was here beside you. Why were you afraid? We've got this relationship where, where I love you dearly and, and I'm here for you and I'm following you. So why were you afraid? You could literally reach out and touch me. You were that close to me. Why were you afraid? Why did you choose to be fearful? Because Jesus was trying to emphasize again. That as we follow him, as we draw close to him, he wants us to understand that, that if he loves a couple of sparrows, how much more does he love us? 
And that overwhelming, amazing love that he has for you and for me this morning should fill us with such joy and peace that even when we face the storms in our life, we we don't need to be afraid because there is a God who loves us so much. And he wants us to experience the peace and the calm that only he can bring to help combat our fears. He said, I want you to follow me to a place where you fully understand just how loved you are by Father God. Because when you learn to accept and experience his love and trust him wholeheartedly, it'll liberate you from fear. You've seen it, haven't you? You, you know, as so you're kind of thinking, well, that sounds too simple, or I'm not sure I can, I can get there in my head. But have you ever seen it in the, uh, the life of a small child with their parents? There's just that sense of trust, isn't there? There's just that sense of, I just, I know my parents love me. I know it's going to be okay. I saw it a few months ago when we were still at Washington Middle School. Um, some good friends of ours, uh, their, their daughter, Ivy, she was about five years old at the time. And um, her uncle uh, is a teenager and my son's a teenager. And uh, they decided that they'd play a little game in the foyer. And the game was, let's throw Ivy from one another to the other. Let's see how high we can throw her and the other person catches her. Now, Ivy was loving it. There was a few parents looking on that were a little bit fearful. I was worried because I'm looking at them through the eyes of our visitors that morning thinking, I wonder if they think this isn't Connect Kids activity. It's like, hey kids, welcome to Connect. We're going to throw you. The only person that wasn't afraid that morning in that foyer was Ivy. She was loving it. She was screaming and laughing and giggling. Because deep down, she knew that these two guys, they love her. They're not going to let anything bad happen to her. And anytime you've ever seen that kind of interaction between a parent and a child, that's what God is saying. He's saying, I want to take you to a place. I want you to follow me to a place of understanding that I love you so much. You don't need to be afraid. It wasn't just the disciples who were teaching this. Like I said, you can read through Matthew, or sorry, the disciples who are learning this. You can read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus is talking to the disciples time and time again. But then as you get into the rest of the New Testament, we start to read a lot of the letters that were written by a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul echoes this exact same thought. And here's the amazing thing, as we're going to read here in a second, some of the verses that Paul wrote about trusting God and understand how much God loves you and, and not being afraid when you're facing difficult circumstances. Paul never heard this directly from Jesus. Other than a miraculous, supernatural encounter with Jesus that, that led to his conversion, everything Paul knew of Jesus, he knew because Jesus' followers told him years later. So maybe 20 years after the death of Jesus, Paul becomes a Jesus follower. And in his initial journey, as he began that journey, everything he learned of the love of Jesus and everything he learned of what it meant to follow Jesus, he learned because Peter and James and John and Andrew, they would say, this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus taught us. That just blows my mind. Because I read Paul talking about this with such authority and he's learned this secondhand. I got thinking about that. I was like, what would that be like here today? It would be a little bit like this. Now, as you know, if you've been here for any length of time, I've been on a six-year crusade here to connect our community to Christ. But my, my second goal has been to try and connect you to the idea that soccer is better than football. And um, 
It comes up on a regular basis, normally around Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, it's a hard battle. You're a tough crowd, I get that, and uh, I try and keep selling the idea of, of my football and how it's actually used, you use a foot and it is a ball, and it kind of makes sense, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to sell that idea. I've not won many converts over the years, I'll acknowledge that, but let's imagine for a second that just one of you was like, you know what, Dave's got a point. Soccer is good. I like that idea. And you're stood one day at a JFL game next to another dad, and you're watching your 12-year-old sons out there, and they're just being beaten to a pub because this other kid on the other team, he looks like he drove there. It's like, how is that kid 12? I think he's got a full beard under the helmet. This is insane. And your one friend says to you, hey, my pastor, this guy at Connect, he reckons soccer's better than football. And you're like, well, today I think he might be right. And you leave that day and you are a believer. You believe in soccer. I know. It's, it's a hard sell. Do you know, today the Chicago Bears are playing in London. Come on. I'm trying so hard to win you over here. And, and the, all of my country back home is going crazy at a sold-out stadium watching the Bears play football. It's a losing battle. I get it. But hopefully you can see the, the, the analogy and that, that that would be crazy if, if not only did someone get converted in my way of thinking, but they were able to tell someone else who's never met me. And they started to follow the idea that soccer's better than football because I heard about this from a guy who heard about it from a guy. That's what's happening with Paul. And yet listen to the authority in which he speaks about this message of love. He's writing to a, a group of Jesus followers in, in Rome in New Testament times, if you know your history or your Russell Crowe movies, you'll know that being a Christian in Rome in New Testament times, it was a place to be afraid. I mean, we're talking about amphitheaters and lions and gladiators. I mean, this wasn't a safe place to be a Christian. And listen to Paul, what Paul says writing to these people in Rome. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, we don't hope, we don't cross our fingers, we don't, you know, hopefully, hopefully, no, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He carries on throughout this chapter just emphasizing the, the power of the love of God in our lives and what it can do to us when it comes to facing adversity and fear. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, nakedness, danger or sword? Paul's not talking hypothetically here. Paul's encountered pretty much every one of these things. And yet having never spent time personally with Jesus, just his disciples, he's come to understand the power of the love of Jesus and nothing can separate him from that love. I don't need to live in fear because the love of Jesus is here. So these things that would normally cause me to be afraid, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, they no longer give me fear because nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. I think if Paul were here amongst us this morning, if Paul was here speaking to us this morning, he would continue on that thought. What can separate us from the love of God? Neither hardship, persecution, danger, swords, joblessness, poor health, a prodigal child, money problems, marriage challenges, Democrats in the House, Republicans in the Senate. Nothing should cause us to be fearful this morning because God loves you. 
And God is watching over you. And, and sometimes we take our eyes of Jesus who's right there on the boat and we look at these things. We look at our job situation. We look at things going on in the world and fear starts to rise up. And Jesus is saying, listen, you want to know where being a follower of me leads? It leads to a place of faith and trust where you don't need to be overwhelmed by fear. I want to set you free. I want you to understand just how loved you are. So much more than a couple of sparrows. And the more you understand how loved you are, the more the fear of these things in your life, many of which you can't control, it starts to fade in light of the understanding that God loves me so much. And what's the worst thing that happened? Even if my body is taken away, my soul is safe because of God's love for me. I've got to be honest with you this morning, as I was preparing this message this week, it, it just really meant so much to me. I love getting to speak on a Sunday morning. I love sharing what I believe to be true. But every now and again, I'll share something. And I'm like, God, I needed to remember this week that this is true. I needed to remember this week that, that you love me so much. The situations that we're going through as a family, we don't need to be afraid, God, because you're in control. I was encouraged to discover that even some of Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, who literally walked with him in the flesh, who literally sat in the boat during the storm, it still took them a while to realize this. They still messed up. You read it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, time and time again. Do not be afraid. Why are you afraid? Don't be afraid. I am with you. Yeah, but Jesus, you don't understand. What's going on? No, no, no. Don't be afraid. Yeah, but you don't understand. They said they're going to cut these jobs. Don't be afraid. But Jesus, I don't think you fully understand what's going on here. I mean, I have no control. Don't be afraid. I want to take you to a place where, where you can look to me and not be afraid. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. I'd love to tell you this morning that I've arrived and that the view from up here is great and there's nothing that worries me anymore. But the reality is that when it comes to following Jesus, it is a journey. It's step by step every day. And some days things will be going great and you'll be like, well, of course I'm not afraid. Jesus loves me. And then there'll be other days where challenges come and you've got to be like, Jesus, I know you love me. Help me to keep my eyes on you. Because God, I can feel fear welling up here. I don't want to be gripped. I don't want to be driven. I don't want to make decisions based out of fear and anxiety. I want to trust you, Jesus. Because I know you love me. I know that's where you want to leave me, lead me. Yes, he'll help you become a better person. Yes, as a follower of Jesus, you'll go to heaven. But it won't be pain-free, problem-free. And sometimes during those difficult times, the greatest thing we have as followers of Jesus is just understanding that he is there and he loves us so much. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for making it clear through Jesus and through Paul that you love us so much. We are not to be afraid. Jesus, I wish there was a way this morning for all of us, myself included, just to flick the switch in our minds and say, oh, well, if that's the case, then I'll just stop being afraid. But it's not that easy, Jesus. It's hard. Even your own followers had to be reminded again and again, why are you afraid? 
Just the fact that you asked the disciples that question meant that you had an answer to it. You don't need to be afraid. I am here with you. Lord, I believe that is one of the greatest promises that we can hold on to as followers of Jesus. That's one of the greatest um, advantages in making that decision to follow you is that you want to lead us to a place of such great faith, such overwhelming faith that is even greater than our fears as we rest in that knowledge of the love you have for us. Lord, we took communion together. What better example? This isn't theoretical love. You literally sent your son to die on a cross because you loved us so much. Help us to understand how loved we are this morning when we face our fears and to take comfort and peace in being with you. In Jesus' name, amen.